If you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Over the last month, we've been looking at the beginning part of chapter 10 of Hebrews. Um, Hebrews, remember, is a, a beautiful bridge uh, book that kind of bridges the Old Testament and the New Testament. How is, how is a believer to read the Old Testament? We see that the gospel is in the Old Testament, but it's all, it's all hidden. It's all tied up. It's concealed. And that the, 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 the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. It's not that it's something that, that we don't look at or that it's, it's obsolete and, and we could ignore it. It's what God is. It's who he is. It's the righteousness of God. It's the gospel. But the gospel doesn't make full sense until we've seen God's full plan. And God's full plan was that Jesus would be exalted above the highest heavens by his people. And forever his people will not just endure Jesus as their ruler. They will adore him with every breath. Every fiber of our being wants him to be king and wants to be more a pleasing in his sight. So it's, it's, quite, it's quite amazing when we see a chapter here that's all about Jesus, but almost every word we read is what we saw in the Old Testament. It shows that there was one message to this Bible, one author to this Bible. So let's read the first 23 verses of chapter 10. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they have not ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance of sin made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. Then I said, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin that thou wouldst not, neither hast their pleasure in, which are offered by the law, then he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By the will, which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and often, uh, offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one offering hath he perfected forever them which are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, after that he has saith before, this is the covenant that I will make into their ha after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, 
by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold the profession of our faith without wavering, for he that is, is faithful that promised. So we looked at the beginning and saw that the Old Testament law, which God was teaching us about himself, were pictures of Jesus Christ. That in this particular chapter, the pictures that he's talking about is the pictures of the offerings. All of the sacrifices, all of the bloody sacrifices that were offered endlessly, continuously, all day, every day, forever, were just pictures of what Christ did because God takes sin seriously. It's not something he winks at. It's not something he ignores. It's not something he can look away at. When I sin against God, it damns me to hell forever. One sin, one single sin is all that it takes forever continuously. And when a man thinks about that, it makes him angry. How dare a God send a person to burning flames, eternally burning over one misstep, over one not making the mark, you don't know God. Do you see it? We don't know God. Everybody in the world is mad at that concept. In fact, the, what you do is either you, you tremble and simply cower and live in no power, dreading the day of your destruction, or you strut and you live powerfully and you flaunt in, your, in God's face, I will do as I please. Thank you. I'm breathing now and I'm in charge. So it really is, is one of two things. All of us are lost. But God came and got us. God came and left the 99 and came and searched for us and ran after us and chased us down. And there was a day that we saw what God truly was, and we saw ourselves in great need. When we knew, that absolutely knew, that it was totally going to happen, that we would be destroyed, then the gospel was preached to us, and we responded. And we responded with true life. There was something that happened in us, and we became renewed. We became born again. We were regenerated. And now we live in this world the same as before. We look the same. But we never again will look at God the same way. We see God as not just simply the hard nose that would send us to hell because we misstepped, but someone that would chase us down with his love and that, that someone like us took the death of his son in order to make someone like us his friend. There is an adoration of God Almighty in the heart of his children. There is a love, not a fear. I reverence God. I have that kind of fear. I revere him. He is different from me. He's not one of the boys. He's not a dude. He's not, he's not the guy upstairs. He is God Almighty, and I am not. But I never again will fear and tremble that I will ever. The law, 
as perfect as God himself, the law that will never, ever pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. God's law will never pass away. And this law has nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. This law will stand for eternity, and I will be safe in my Savior. And this chapter is speaking about the Savior, and specifically that his sacrifice was different from the sacrifices offered moment by moment, day after day by the priest forever, because his was once, and he sat down. And when he sat down, it was finished. And what he did that the, that the sacrifices in the Old Testament could not do was it perfected. And that's what we're going to talk about today. When you were saved by your perfect Savior, you were perfected. There is something about you. And you're, you can see who you are. You can see what your struggles still are. You know what your, your level is and your abilities. And you know how holy your life is. But you were replaced by Christ. And as such, God sees you as perfect in his sight. And so today, we're going to see at the end of this chapter, it's talking about prayer. Interesting, it doesn't use the word prayer. But it tells us to approach God boldly. Well, how does a saint of God living on this world approach God? You approach God by you speak to God. You boldly speak to God. And the idea that I would boldly do anything with God is so hard that you need to tell yourself to do it. You need to, be, you need to preach the gospel to yourself so that you will not fear. Most people, most people never pray because they don't think that God would ever listen to them. Why would God listen to me? Who am I? I have no right to ask God of anything. They may think God is God. They may understand that there are some people in this world that have trusted the Lord and are living at such a place that they could ask for something. And you know people that if your life becomes in crisis, you know who to turn to to pray. You're not just going to ask anybody. You know exactly. And you may have never talked to them in your life, and you'll call them on the phone and have to say, well, hi, this is Brian. I don't know if you remember me, but I need you to pray for me. Because you'll know that that person has God's ear. But you have to know, Christian, God has your ear. And your lack of prayers is because you haven't preached the gospel to yourself. And this is the gospel that we're going to talk about. Okay? So let's, we ended last time with 14. And I'm going to do it just slightly odd. I'm going to start in 22 and preach 22. And I'm going to use all the other verses as support. Is that okay? So I'm going to preach verse 22, and then I'm going to use 15 and 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 to support, because that's what the argument is. He's saying something very strong at the end, and then he's coming back and supporting it first. So he's laying down all the groundwork, the foundation work. Then he's saying something strong, something that you wouldn't do if he did not support it. Every time in the New Testament that a law is given, and a lot of people don't recognize that the laws in the New Testament are just the same as the laws in the Old Testament. They're expected to be obeyed. When God says, be you kind, you don't just smile and say, yeah, we did, we did that in our Sunday school class, and they, don't, they haven't mastered that yet. 
Well, I haven't mastered that yet either. I'm not very kind. But when God says to do it, it's a commandment. But I'm, I'm not given a commandment that's impossible. All commandments are impossible, by the way. I don't know if you've rec recognized that. Not one commandment of God is cap you're capable of doing. If God is not working in you, you will not be able to do it. But what he does, and you'll see as you read the Bible, it'll, it'll occur to you before he ever gives you a command. He will then foundation that command right before with everything God has done for you. Who are you? Who are you really? What has God done for you? Then he gives you a command. And if you preach who you are, if you know who God is and who you are, you will do it. It's amazing. That is how you do it. Otherwise, you're in despair. I don't know if you know a despairing Christian. Just sad all the time. Never, ever happy. Never joyful. No joy in their life. They're sad. They're, they trust the Lord. They've, and they will go to heaven. But they've never lived in the power. They don't know God's peace. How many times has Rick Hayhurst told me that? He said, Christians don't know God's peace. And he scratches his head in, in marvel. Why? When that should be the normal life. That should be the normative way that it is. To know God's peace means that we're camping. Melissa and I are going to go out in the mud in the ticks and the, and the mosquitoes and camp in a, in a rainstorm. And, and we're going to love every minute of it. You, if you know that you're forgiven, if you know that God is on your side, if you know that all these things have been done, then he gives you an impossible command of live like me in this world. You will fall and fall and fall and fall and fall and fall and love every minute of it. And you'll endure the hardnesses of your camping and you'll pick off the ticks if you can find them, if they're not too small. And you'll keep going and you'll love it. And people will be touched by you. Okay? So when I give you hard things, and I'm going to hit you with absolute hard things, do not just say, yeah, that's Christian-y stuff. No, this is for you to do. This is for you to live out. But you live it out knowing that you are victors that you can do all things because of who you are. So listen, who are you? Who is God? What has he done for you? What are you? Who are you? Who is God? Now do something impossible, all right? So will you start with verse 22? Let us draw near with true hearts in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I'm going to say, this is what you're not doing. You are not praying. You are not praying with full assurance. You're not praying with the idea that God hears you and that you, he's accepted you. You're living like I am and like everybody is with an understanding that God is your judge and you're just glad that you're still breathing. That's what you're doing. And you're living weakly and you're not living in victory, and the people you're, you're influencing, you're influencing in both ways. You're flippy and floppy, okay? So how am I going to do this? Do I truly, really believe that the God of all the universe is among us? You must. 
God is here. He is here. Would that change you? If he were visible, if he were 14 feet tall and had to hunch in this room, and visible and glowing like the sun, would it change you? Would you look over at him and ignore me completely? Would it change your posture? Would it change your attitude? Would it change who you are if you truly knew that you are coming into your creator's presence? Do you see it? This is not just a religious activity. It's not an obligation. It's not something you've done since you were six. If you truly believe that you're coming into God's presence, would you do it? And then if you were, would you come with full assurance that you have nothing against God and God has nothing against you? That everything is fine. That he would, if you were to open your eyes, you would know, know, know that he would smile at you. There would not be a frown. You would not hear something in your mind from his voice condemning you, but accepting you. Do you see? That's why I don't pray. I don't pray because I fear God too much, and I know that I have no right to be there. Do you see it? So he's saying, I want you to draw near to God. Now, God has preempted you. He's chased you down. You will draw near to him because he has drawn near to you. You love him because he loved you. He did all the work. But if you take the step towards him, you will see his response. You will see it. The prodigal son thought he was coming to make a job application, to be a, a lower farmhand. And his father saw him coming and ran to him against all dignity. Do you see it? So you draw near to God, which even if I thought I could draw near to God, would I draw near to God in a cringe? Would I draw near to God covering my face? Would I draw near to God of don't look at me? Look somebody else. Do you see it? That's not the command here. Draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Now, this is where some Christians bully other Christians. If you just had faith, you could get out of that wheelchair. If you just had faith, your mother wouldn't divorce your father. If you just had faith, if you just had faith, there's nothing crueler in this world than to do something like that. God has established our ways and loves us in real time, in our lives. So when we talk about having faith, it's not having faith in what I want. Oh, I know this is going to happen. I know I'm going to win the lottery. I know I'm going to win the lottery. I know I'm going to win the lottery. Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Don't be imbecilic. If you truly love God, what you have faith in is God. You have faith in who he is. You have faith in God, knowing that he is the one that's leading you. To have full assurance of faith is based upon God. It's just you looking at God. That's all it is. And in your hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. So now I have my conscience invaded. Do you see how impossible this is? We're talking about every single shard of this is impossible. 
my conscience needs to be dealt with. My conscience that I can't control, who tells me if I'm right or wrong with God, has to be completely free. That I no longer have an evil conscience, I have a clear conscience. And my body itself needs to be washed with water. The very unsuitability of me to be in God's presence needs to be dealt with. Do you see it? Now, when you have a commandment like this, most people just ignore it. They're like, okay, yeah, that's religious talk. And then they never think about it again. No, how is this to happen? It's to happen with everything that he set up before. All of this is dealing with it so that when you get to 22, you're like, in Jesus' name, I will live this way. I will do it. And it's not just a mental exercise. It is life. Okay? So the first of all, it, we're talking about praying. We're talking about prayer to draw near to God. And I just think a lot of people praying is easy because they don't know what they're, they're not really praying. I would venture a, a serious guess. I know I'm on YouTube. I would think most people don't pray. They simply talk to themselves. They're not really praying. They're talking in their mind. They're going over a list of things they want or things they'd like to be different, things they'd like to have changed in their life, something that they're aggravated or agitated about that would, they wish were something different. And they speak into the winds. I've heard people on the cooking channel pray to the baking gods, like any god will do, okay? It doesn't matter, just let me throw something out, hoping that something will happen. That's not prayer. Prayer is not just talking. And you can, you can speak very, uh, very uh, simply to children, and you're just talking like you're talking to your friend and whatever that is. But the problem is, when you do that, and you do not know what it is that you're doing, you're not really praying. You're not really positioning yourself properly, and you're not truly having faith in God. All you're doing is, is having a wishy-wishy party. That's all it is. Now, I'm not saying you've never prayed in your life. I'm sure you have. You've been in enough catastrophe that I promise you've prayed, <laughs> and it was real pray. And if you love God, it's because God has, has done something in your life, and it is Part of that is that he forces prayer out of us. David said, I love my adversities. Thank you for my adversities because it forced me to come to you. It, I know that it was my life that, that it feels like it's falling apart and I come to you because I have no other hope. That was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. All right, And God does that. But people who are not really praying, but yet praying to God, Oh, God, give me a Mercedes-Benz, whatever it is, okay? That is insulting to God. This is from Job 38. Who is this that darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? This is from Isaiah chapter 1. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this of your hands to tread my courts? Do you see it? The God of all heaven and earth knows exactly what's going on. He perceives perfectly. And for you to pray or to pretend to pray or mock pray is not praying. And it's actually offending God. It's not, it's not something God requires, wants, or loves. 
It is something that is showing that even if you know God, you are so dwarfed because of your lack of, of, of appropriating the gospel that you somehow are living in kind of a, a little uh, nut. All right? So the writer said we're to have full assurance. That means that sh should be normal. So if I'm simply praying to the bedroom ceiling and that, that's all it is, that, that is not approaching God. All I'm doing is just talking to myself, thinking to myself, pray, like praying to myself. Remember the Pharisee and the tax collector? And the, ta and the Pharisee prayed within himself, he said. Interesting. He was talking to himself. And he was talking to himself, oh God, I'm glad that I'm not like this tax collector. It's not really a prayer, and it's not accepted as a prayer. And there is no power in that. There is no power in that. That's why you don't pick 100% of the people you know to pray for you when you're in crisis. You pick the three people you know. That's it. You leave everybody else alone because you don't trust most people. You only trust a few people. You are to be those people that people would call. You should be on people's shortlist. And then, but that's accusing, and that's making me feel bad about myself. I'm fine with feeling bad about myself. The more, I, the more I feel bad about myself, not to simply loathe myself, but simply to trust my, my Lord, I'm more like my Lord. That's how it works. That's what growing looks like. It's called growth pains. Have you ever seen a 15-year-old boy that just lays in bed at night and groaning because he's getting taller by the inch, by the minute? That's exactly what's happening. There's a, there's a pain that goes through that. So to draw close to God, you have to know this is the God of inapproachable light. This is the greatest privilege known to mankind, but this is a real God that you're talking to. It. Real God. So I see problems with this all over the place. There, this is impossible in 15 ways. Let me give you three ways this is impossible. Why can't I do this? Okay. The first thing I wrote down was... The first problem I have that prevents me from having full assurance of faith is that I'm entering into the holiest. Okay, now we just read just a minute ago that there were two rooms in the tabernacle. You had the holy place and the most holy place, or the holy of holies. The holiest of holies was off limits. That you would put a veil there. There was a veil that separated that room from the other room, and then the tent separated it from the, from the yard, and then the curtains, the fence curtains, separated it from the camp. Then you had an entire camp of priests around the camp. Then people lived. Everything was layers of separation that God had to be kept away from you because his holiness would destroy you. Do you see it? God had to save you from himself. You cannot look directly into it without just evaporating. So there was, a, there was a holy place that God's Shekinah glory dwelt that was off limits to everybody. But one person, once a year, with a special sacrifice, one time, that was called the holiest. This is saying that I'm entering into the holiest. All right, do you see that? We, were, we just read that in verse... Um, um, 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blade of Christ. We're going into the holy of holies. This is a place that the priest, that, the, that 
it went once a year, had bells on his skirts because, and he would tinkle the whole time because he was trembling with fear. Like he knew that it was his job to go in there. And this was God Almighty that you would win. They never even ever said his name. They revered him. They feared him. This was, this was the great, terrible God. I don't know if you've ever read in King James. The terrible God, meaning that it terrifies you to truly know who he is. This is going into his very presence. So when I say, I'm going to go worship the Lord God Almighty. I'm going to go to the church house where the church is going to meet and we are going to completely put away our lives for, for, for one hour and we're only going to adore our God. We are going to go into God's very presence. Would you prepare for that? You have to say, would you prepare for that? And did you prepare for that? Will you prepare for that? You have to know what you're doing. You're not just praying, oh, God, I wish that things were different. Okay? I wish my enemy wasn't so grumpy, whatever. You are going into God's very presence, and that requires you to know who it is that you're speaking to. Okay? This is God. So that's the first problem is I'm going into the holiest of holies. I can't do that. I, I don't have the... I don't have the I'm too fearful. I couldn't do it. I, I'm too dirty. The second problem I have is that it prevents me is my conscience. Okay? So I'm getting all this from, from what we did. Do you remember? It said this is 22. I'm preaching 22. Let us draw near, okay, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from either confidence and our bodies were, uh, washed with pure water. So I see conscience here. Like the holiest of holies, that's a problem. And that I have a conscience, that's a problem. Because my, my conscience is not clear. My conscience is that I'm not, I don't live and haven't lived in a way that I have, know that God has nothing against me. He's my judge and he judges righteously. I know that, that I didn't do it right. I know I didn't get a hundred. And be careful, I don't know if you ever, I hope you weren't the person that did this in school. But every, 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 every time that I'm like, oh, I nailed it, 100, I got 100, I got 100, and I'd get a 69 or something, I was totally surprised. I thought I had the 100, okay? It's the arrogance that a failing person often has because they didn't know what they needed to study, so they were fine with it. They didn't know that they got every question wrong because they thought, I did my best. That's the problem. Do I have a clear conscience? My answer is like, how could I go into really in God's presence? I'm okay with going to church. I'm okay with brushing my teeth. I'm okay with the tie. I'm okay. You know, I'll do all of that. But to truly go into really God's presence, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can sign up for that. That's a little bit too much. But that's normal. That's what a normal, I promise. 20 people, 50 people, 3,000 people. You go into God's presence on your own. You go in with your family, then you attend here corporately. God would flip this town upside down. Absolutely flip it upside down. The whole world was turned upside down with a dozen fishermen. It, it, but those fishermen were prepared. Do you see? They were prepared people. 
It wasn't that they were more competent than they used to be. They were simply ready. But they knew what they were doing. Okay, so, so my conscience, like this, this is from David, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin are ever before me. David knew. He knew what his sins were. They're always before him. He knows that God has, God judges righteously. One of my amazing stories that I, I love, this is from Luke 5. When Simon Peter saw it, remember the fish? The boat was sinking. He fished all night, and there was no fish. He fished all night, no fish. And he was like, put it down on this side of the boat. Now, the most ludicrous thing you could have ever imagined Jesus saying, I'm sure Peter wanted to make fun of it. Like, what side of the boat does it matter? If I put it on this side of the boat or this side of the boat, what does it matter if there's no fish in the lake or they're not, nobody's biting? He, he's like, okay, I'll do it. He puts on this side of the boat, and the boat started sinking because there were so many fish in the, in the net. Instantly, Peter says, this is verse 8, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Is that the most amazing First of all, are you surprised by his response? And then you completely understand it. The first thing he said when he saw that it was God he was speaking to is, I'm too dirty to deal with you. I'm too dirty. Will you just go away? Go to somebody else. Leave me. Leave me alone. Okay? Do you see prayer is impossible? The third problem I wrote down is that it prevents from having full assurance of faith is my sense of utter worthlessness okay now i got that from bodies clean with pure water it's my body it's my very person i'm too dirty to go into god's presence the priest's garments were completely flawlessly quite perfect every single time they ministered because it represented who they were it represented christ that what you wore meant something to go out so there's a, you know, at the end of the Old Testament, in Zechariah, one of the very last scary stories in the, in the prophets is the priest that's in, that's in filthy, raggy clothes, and Satan is standing there accusing the priest in front of God, look at this filthy man. How could you possibly accept the people that he represents? Look at him. He's filthy. And God said, I'll speak for him, Satan. Interesting. You only see Satan two or three times in the Old Testament. This is one of them. And he goes, put new clothes on him, please. And they redress him. Now, I mean, we have already talked about the righteousness of Christ, the clothes of Christ. You're wearing Christ's clothes. He redresses you. But if you think you're going in your own, if anybody that dares pray in your own name, I pray in Brian's name, I would fear the lightning to strike me dead. The idea that I have the right to come into God's presence at all without being destroyed and then to boldly expect something from God when I'm his enemy, when on my own I've done nothing but offend him. God has no right to do anything except destroy me. But a Christian is someone who is bound with their Savior. You're amalgamated. You're completely in Christ. And when you, when you ask something with a true heart with, your heart, with your conscience sprinkled with clear water, you ask in Jesus' name and God answers you in that stead. That's, that's what gives you boldness, do you see? It's God that gives me the boldness to approach the God that I couldn't approach. That's, that's so amazing. 
God is, God is my worst enemy and my best friend. He's the one I should be afraid of and the one that I run to. Okay? So this is, this is Isaiah 6. He saw God, and Isaiah the prophet said, Woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. David again. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to vanity. Do you see why Jesus is the righteous man in the Proverbs? Jesus is the righteous man in the Psalms. There is, I can't say, God accept me in my integrity. That's Psalm 26. Psalm 24, who shall ascend the heel of the Lord? Someone with clean hands and a pure heart. I'm like, okay, exempt. I have to go sit down. I'm, I'm out. Okay, it's like dodgeball. I was always out first. Okay, I don't get to go to the end of the game because ex- I've been kicked out. Well, I don't have clean hands and a pure heart. I can't ascend the heel of the Lord. I can't go into God's very presence. I can't pray. I can't ask God for impossible things. Do you see it? So I see whenever I read these Psalms, it's Jesus is the righteous man. Jesus is the clean hands. It's Jesus, by the way, Psalm 24 is, open your gates, O you mighty gates, and let the king of glory come in. Who's the king of glory? The Lord Almighty. This is Jesus ascending the hill. Do you see? But if I'm in him, I get to go in. I get to go in. So all of this is impossible, except by the boldness that comes from Jesus. Let's look back at the text. This is verse 19 and 20. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by Jesus by a new and living way that he's consecrated. You see it? That's why I go in. Jesus opened a way. I had no way. I only had to be perfect and I couldn't be. He opened a way. I have access to God because of Christ. I have access to God because he opened a way. Do you see? It's a new way. It's contrasting with the Old Testament, just like this entire book. It's a living way. It's not ritual. It's not doing your religious duties. It's, it's not putting the quarter in and expecting the pop to come out. This is living your life with Jesus living your life. It's a living way. He opened it up. And it's access to God. Do you remember? The old covenant couldn't make you perfect. You're, though you did it, you did it, did it, did it. You were never perfect. You were never truly accepted. Christ's sacrifice made you perfect. You are accepted in the beloved. You come to him with full assurance of faith because you're not coming as Brian. You're coming in Christ. In Christ, you're blessed. In Christ, you're full. In Christ, you're yes and amen. And God is a big God. You have to realize, if you ever get to the point where you're like, I will go into God's presence. I will go into very God's very presence. He's a great king. Don't ask him paltry things. He's a great king. He owns it all. He, he runs everything. If you ask him, ask him big things. Because he it gets more glory when he shows himself to be who he is. So you ask you do the impossible and you come to God and you do the impossible and you ask the impossible and you act as though I'm going to live this way, and if I fail, I fail huge. I fail spectacularly. I fail, I'm going to walk out of the boat. 
and I'm going to come straight to you. And if I fail, everybody's going to know. It's going to be so obvious. So your prayer of assurance of faith is not in yourself. It's not in your ability. It's not in your past. It's not in your record. It's in who you're looking at. That is who it is. And he made it through his death. Do you see it? He consecrated it through the veil that is his death. Now the veil, the blue veil that separated that inner room, ripped when Jesus was ripped. Do you see it? Now this is a hard because we're talking about pictures. Jesus was not the separation between you and God. But when Jesus was ripped, the veil of separation was ripped. Do you see it? Now you look into where nobody could look into. You now, there is light from outside shining in. Before it was dark and the only light was God shining out. You can now see from the outside who God is and directly look straight into his holiness and not fear for your life, not fear for your eternal life that God will give it to you. Why? Because our great high priest has represented us. Do you see it? Back to 14. This is 14 through, the, basically it's this whole passage. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, he represents us. That is passed in the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we don't have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was on all point like tempted as we. Uh, let us therefore come to the bold of grace boldly. That's from chapter 4. So, do you see we, we have the... the the one, from the, the one from this passage talks about the high priest in nineteen, having having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiness of the blood of Christ by newly living away, which is consecrated the veil, and having this is twenty one, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Do you see? Everything is there. There is no reason other than your sinful obstinance why you do not really approach God. And when you pray, know who you're praying and know who you are and know that you have the right. Do you see? It's his right. The last line we just sang. And in I have the right to enter, your right to enter into heaven. Do you see it? I have your right to enter into your heaven. That's, that was the last thing we sung. Because it's finished. The Messiah died. I hope that encourages you Christians. I hope it does.